Um, this morning, we're starting this new series called Longing for Belonging. Every single one of us at our core deeply desire real, authentic relationships when we live within this world that is full of superficial relationships where oftentimes we feel lonely. So Thursday was fun, uh, not only because the Lions got the win, but one of my best friends, his name is Chris, and uh, Chris lives up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and he works um, in advertising, and he had a work thing, and he texted me on Wednesday and said, hey, I'm going to be in Westfield tomorrow night. You want to meet me for dinner, and we'll watch the Lions game. I'm like, let's go, baby. We can watch and maybe cry together. Um, and it was so good because do you, do you have any of those friends where even if you don't see them for a while, like when you get back together, it's like you never missed a beat. And some of it's because you've, you've been through, through things together. You've laughed together. You've cried together. You've been there at significant moments in their life. They have been those friends who make those phone calls, send those text messages to say, how are you doing? No, how are you really doing? They know your junk, they've seen all of the, the dumb decisions you've made, and they love you anyways, and they show up. It was awesome to be with my friend Chris on Thursday, even if it was only for a, a few hours, in particular as I was prepping for this message because I was reminded of the tangible gift of friendship. And, and, and it's such an important thing in the world that we live in today when there is dire consequences for the loneliness that is plaguing our world. Uh, in 2016, 2017, sociolo sociologists began to notice in the United States that Americans were dying younger than they had been in previous years and had been going on for a couple years at that point. And they began to try to think through what is going on, what are all the different factors in this world. The last time that this happened was in the 60s, and there was an obvious flu epidemic who had kind of thrown things off. But as they began to look into it, they began to realize that it wasn't a pandemic, it wasn't um, a rise in cancer or things like that that would make more sense from a medical standpoint. But what they began to realize is that there were more and more kind of grim and preventable things that were happening. There would be things that maybe um, today they would categorize as deaths of despair, young suicides, overdoses, alcoholism, other preventable things that were happening in our world, let alone also the fact that there were older generations who, because of the fact that there were no longer family structures and things in their life, quite literally were dying earlier, likely from a broken heart and of loneliness. My wife um, and I have very differing um, ideas of like what's a good time to watch TV. I love sports. I love nerdy uh, documentaries about history and things like that. My wife enjoys things like, let me watch this um, documentary about food and how we can't eat the food that we normally eat anymore because it's killing us. Um, she's watching this one uh, about people, their lives and longevity. And it was interesting because the, the research from this documentary that she was watching was backing up this reality that, yes, food and all those things matter, but one of the key things to people who were living into their hundreds and things like that often had to do with being in cultures where there is a deeply integrated life of rich community. This is so important. You see, it was around this time uh, in, in the uh, 2016, 2017 range that there were studies that were beginning to show that this chronic loneliness was more dangerous to your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. This was the beginning of understanding that there is an epidemic of loneliness. 
Some surveys uh, have revealed that around 60% of people in the United States right now report feeling lonely on a pretty regular basis. Physical consequences that can come from this, too, have been devastating. They've included a 29% increase in uh, risk of heart disease, a 32% increase in risk of stroke, and a 50% increase in risk of developing dementia for older adults. And across all these ages, too, um, some of this loneliness especially has been terrible for younger generations between the ages of 15 and 24, who are 70% less uh, less in kind of social interaction circles than previous generations. And now, mind you, all of this is, 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 is before COVID, before lockdowns, all these things. These are things that have been happening in our culture that are not good. And we've seen, the, you've probably seen the statistics in particular. It's why we deeply believe in youth ministry and children's ministry here, because we recognize that, that like, the youth of our culture are literally dying, um, they are making terrible decisions, they are feeling isolated and lonely, and uh, these are preventable things. You see, our lack of connection is killing us, physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. Justin Early, in his book called Made for People, says this, loneliness kills us body and soul, because it is the, it is the opposite of what we were made for. In the coming weeks, we're going to be um, exploring this idea of what does it look like to kind of scratch the itch of this longing that God has created inside of us for a sense of belonging. We're going to talk about how friendship is this, this gift and also this calling that we have to deal with it. We're going to talk about how the church has a huge opportunity to actually um, literally bring uh, something beautiful um, to a world who maybe doesn't want anything to do with our quote-unquote religion, but might recognize this idea that this connection is deeply important for us to just flourish as people. This morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about this reality of this tension that we have. You know, there's, there's more and more statistics I could have shared this morning, but it's, it's pretty much undeniable throughout all the different kind of scientific practices and things like that to recognize that we are not living our best. We are not functioning with a lot of just like, yeah, we're a well-oiled machine. We all feel great. And again, there's millions of reasons why, right? There's the fact that family structures are not what they used to be. Uh, oftentimes, we're not as deeply connected to our families as we used to be. People oftentimes move away from the communities that they grew up in. We have obviously technological things things in our pocket that are constantly distracting us, that are allowing us to sometimes be physically present, but not really actually present in our lives, in our relationships. And all of these things are factors. But one of the things that I want to talk about this morning, I want to talk about how God has known all of this before science had really had to have the research to back it up. And so if you have a Bible this morning, uh, you can go to um, Genesis chapter 2. And I know our last series, if you've been here, um, we hung out in Genesis. And uh, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. We're going to be hanging out in, in this, this area that we call the creation narrative. It's the very beginning. And it's when God is creating all things. And so if, if, if you don't remember, if you've never heard the story, essentially this is how it goes in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything was formless and void. It was Full of chaos and this story of the creation narrative is a God taking chaos and bringing order and beauty to this world 
And if you remember, I, I made you do this last week, so you, this is going to be a slam dunk if you were here last week. You know, he would do lots of his creation. At the end of the day, he would say it was good. Yes. Great job, guys. Give yourself a little pat on the back. Um, it was good. At the end of creation, God would, 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 would create um, creatures and animals. He would, he would you know, separate um, the, the sky, all that sort of stuff. And at the end of every single time, it was good. And he created us in his image, and he said it was very good. But this is what it says in uh, Genesis chapter 2. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was their name. So if you think there is an animal that should be named something different, blame Adam. Blame men. Gosh, guys, we can't get anything right. So the man gave them names to all the livestock and the birds in the sky and all the the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from his rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, this story, right? God creates everything. Now, think about this. If we go with this basis that um, God is all-powerful, all-knowing, like he could do whatever he wants, right? Everything that he does, he says, this is good, until this one thing where he says, this is not good that this man, this, my, my ultimate creation is alone. There's an interesting thing. I was reading uh, multiple scholars, the, the guy Justin Early, who I'll reference uh, some of his book a little bit more uh, today, um, said this thing. Now, don't throw, I saw someone put tomatoes out in the lobby, which I think are free for people to take. I, I don't think those were to throw at me. But it's interesting. God writes all of this. He creates everything that man needs. He's got food. He's got all of these sort of things. He has God himself. And yet God says, this isn't good. This isn't enough. Now, don't throw stuff at me where I'm saying God is not enough. God is enough, period. But part of God being enough is the gift that eventually he recognizes our need He creates inside of us a longing for belonging, our need for other people. Quite literally, we are are hardwired with this longing for belonging. We are hardwired with this need for connection, this gift of friendship. And again, some people will be like, no, 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 no. This is a story about, you know, love in marriage. Totally true. In fact, oftentimes the, the, the word helper there isn't always great. The idea is just the idea that there is a sense of, of difference in compatibility and union. And of course that is true of marriage. But the foundation of all great marriages that I know is friendship. I've never met a great marriage where they're like, yeah, we're not friends. You know, because ultimately this story of creation, yes, it has to do with procreation, all those things that will come, but, but the foundational piece, what God is really getting at, is this fact that there is this yearning inside of who he created man to be, humanity to be, to be a, a person, a people who are in connection and community with one another. Part of this is because it reflects who our God 
is. You see, God, uh, if, if you look at theologically who he is, if you ever heard uh, of this idea that sometimes we say that we serve a Trinitarian God, which means this idea of God three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If we look through scripture, we, we recognize that God is working in unison, working in community together. If we go back to the very beginning, it says uh, that, 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 that the Spirit was hovering over the deep as it was creating. This is the Holy Spirit. If we go to the Gospel of John at the very beginning, it talks about how in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was Jesus. And so from the very beginning, all of um, creation, before we ever even knew all of this, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been working together, living and serving in community. And I love the way that um, Jenny Allen in her book called um, Find Your People, she says this, he created us out of relationship for relationship. That part of the reason that we have this longing, part of this reason that we need community is that we get to reflect who our God is, that our God works and breathes and exists in community. And so, of course, his creation who is made in his image would also reflect and need that as well, and so we, we understand the tension. We understand this, this thing that we're, 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 we're created for this. So what do we do about it? The answer to loneliness is community and authentic friendship. And this is something that our world is starving for. If I was to take a survey in here, and I, I, would, I would fail some of this as well, lots of us know very little about our coworkers. We know very little about some of our kids' friends. Listen, if you were to ask me to, to name all the names of, of the neighbors on my block, I would score pretty low. And that's just a basic, surfacey thing. If I was to take a survey in here to say, how many people uh, in here have, have persons that they are honest and accountable with? I think it would go even lower. Because we are in a culture, we're in a time where we have both on purpose and by design of the world that we live in, isolated ourselves. And some of it has to do with the fact that maybe some of us have been hurt by people. Anyone ever had a friendship that ended and it hurt? I'm the, I'm the only one? No? Okay. Uh, sorry, I guess. <laughs> maybe it's me. <laughs> like, like Taylor Swift. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. But I think that's part of it, right? We, we, we don't make it a priority or we've been hurt in the past by it, but it is something, especially as followers of Jesus, if we're to take serious the teaching of Scripture. If we look at the, the, the book of Proverbs, and we're going to talk more about these in coming weeks, but uh, the book of Proverbs is this book of wisdom in the Old Testament. And essentially, one of the primary lessons that comes over and over in there is basically like, if you don't have friends, you're a fool. If you think you can get through life without good friends, you ain't it. And so we got to talk about what we do with this. Now, in her book, uh, Find Your People, Jenny Allen um, shows this funnel. And, you know, it's going to be up on the screen. She, she calls it the funnel. And it talks about, it, this, is, this comes from this idea of, of some research that was done that talks about how generally people have a, a network of about 150 people that they can actually have some semblance of relationship and contact with on a regular basis. Now again, we live in a world where um, because of things like Facebook and social media, we, when we hear the word friend, we're like, oh yeah, you send a request, which is not, right? Because I am Facebook friends with like my, 
mom's former coworkers who I've never met because they like pictures of my kids. Um, we're not real friends, sorry, Susan. Um, but we really can only handle about 150 people where we kind, kind of, you know, again, there might be some people who do a little bit better than that, but these are kind of the people, the network that you're in. And then on the front end, we have about 50 people who would be sort of like acquaintances. These are people who we have regular interactions with. We probably actually do know their name. We might know at least one or two things about them that we could say. Then we narrow it down to this idea of having a village. This is about 15 people who we actually have like a little bit more of, these would be people you would at least say like, yep, that's my friend. Um, and, and these are people where there is close relationship, but again, it's different than the final level, which is close friends or your BFFs, um, heart sign. Uh, this is about two to five people, and these are the people who actually know you. They know your junk. They know your strengths and your weaknesses. They actually see into your selfishness or your uh, unpredictability, and they're still there anyways, and you are there for them as well. Justin Early says this uh, about friends. I like this definition. He says, a friend is someone who knows you fully and loves you anyways. Isn't that good? Because honestly, let's be real. Usually that's just your mom. <laughs> and she kind of has to. <laughs> Friendship, that's one of the beauties of it, right? Is, is there, there's this piece of like, that's why when scripture talks about how um, friends are oftentimes closer than brothers. Like, I, I love my brothers. We are friends now, but I did not choose them. Especially when I was younger too, if God would have said, hey, you can have a do-over, I might have taken it up. Sorry, Matt and JJ. They probably would have too. But this idea of like actual, real, authentic friendship and relationship is this idea of people who actually know us deeply, and they love us anyways. See, the problem is, in our culture, within that funnel, most of us might have those acquaintances. Maybe we even have, have a bit of a village, but oftentimes we never get to this closer, smaller thing. And let me just say, every single one of those layers is an important thing and are good for our lives. There is nothing wrong or bad about having acquaintances and even having fun. There's nothing wrong with, with having a little bit of a village. That's great. But ultimately, so many of us, where most of the greatest growth happens, especially in the Christian faith, is in that small area where we can actually have people who are willing to say, hey, man, your fly's unzipped. Or, hey, I'm going to be honest, you're acting crazy. We need those friends who say those things because they love us, but we actually know it comes from a beautiful, wonderful place. So, the solution, right? What, what, what do we do about all of this? We're going to talk more uh, about tangible things to um, do with friendship in the coming weeks. We're going to talk about what does it look like to actually be a person who could be a good friend. Because next week, we're going we're to focus on that. Don't hate me, because I'm talking to myself too. Many of us don't have a lot of friendships because if we're honest, we're not a good friend. And I'm telling you that as your friend. Many of us aren't living lives in which we are, we, we, we wish we had trustworthy people in our lives, but if we're honest, we're not always very trustworthy. We want people to be consistent in our life, but we are not always very consistent with others. We want people who would be willing to be gracious and not gossips, but sometimes, you know, the Michael Jackson thing, we've got to start with the man in the mirror. 
So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what does it look like to be in relationship in which we can actually be honest and vulnerable and accountable to one another. We're going to talk about how we are called to have like joys and sorrows of life together. We're going to look at um, what it actually looks like to live out on mission together because we are followers of Jesus and that's part of our calling. But for the, for the last little bit of our time together, I, I want to talk about the words of Jesus and what he calls us to. Um, as his followers, and in particular, how important, how powerful, how beautiful it could be in this cultural moment where loneliness is kind of having like its, its day. And so Jesus, in talking to his disciples in the um, Gospel of John, chapter 13, says this. This is right after he has washed their this is right after he, he, he goes, goes across the social norms, because that's part of friendship, right? One of the reasons why, because making friends as an adult is hard, right? I've seen my kids do the thing, right, where they walk up and just say, hi, my name is so-and-so. What's your name? Would you like to be friends? Easy peasy. As adults, we, we like overthink it, like, well, if we invite them over, our house, like, oh, I haven't finished that house project, and what if they wouldn't like me, or what if they knew really, like, we overthink it all, Friendship actually is easier than we think it is. And I'm saying that as a person who has gone through multiple seasons of feeling stuck and depressed because honestly what I wouldn't do is actually just reach out to someone else. People would have been there if I would have. But he, he does this thing where he shows this idea of how we love, how we serve others, how we do something that's sort of vulnerable and maybe weird. He washes people's feet. People's feet. It's a cultural thing at that time. And then he says this, a new command I give you, Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, if I could like surmise what Jesus is saying, hey, if you want people to actually know that you are my follower, you are my children, you are my homies, you are my friends, just love each other. Which, here's the thing, anytime that Jesus says something in scripture, that seems really obvious. Do you know why he says it? Because we're still too stupid not to do it. And I say that in love, because we're friends. I'm talking to myself. It's obvious things that are like, well, no, duh, Aaron, of course, we're supposed to love each other. Then why don't we do it? Why aren't we willing to tread into the awkward and the uncomfortable, to be real and honest with one another, to actually say when someone is, is, is mourning, to actually be willing to say, I'm gonna join you in that. Or when someone is celebrating to say, like, feel like you just won. Again, as the lions keep winning, you guys need to join me in this. Because they're gonna. But this call here um, to this idea is this, this call, essentially, um, to be people who actually are in relationship, in community, and in friendship. How will people know that you're their disciple, that they're disciples? Because he's not actually even really talking about loving just random other people. He's actually just starting with like, if you guys just love each other, like that, you'd be killing it. And so as followers of Jesus, one of our easy but difficult homework that we have is not just to love, love our neighbors out there, but to maybe start loving each other, to actually start showing up in each other's lives to be willing to, 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 to risk the possibility of being hurt again. To be willing to risk someone um, giving us um, truth in love. 
and also to be willing to um, give it to someone else. As we're going to kind of close out here in a moment, I'm going to give you, give you a few things, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to read one more scripture to you. But here's a handful of things to, to, to think about as we tread into this conversation that's going to be ongoing when it comes to uh, our moment today as followers of Jesus and what we can do about this loneliness epidemic. First thing is just this. Jesus changed the world through relationships, and we can too. I think we undervalue this idea. Um, if, if Jesus would have called me before he went into the world and said, hey, will you be part of my strategic team? I'm going to be honest. I would start one with, hey, maybe don't pick a bunch of screw-ups, which I guess there's, that's all of us, so I guess you can't. But there's so much of me that when I, when I think about, like, if I was going to change the world, I was going to spread the good news, I would be like, okay, let's figure out, like, how can we get you on um, uh, Jerusalem tonight? How can we, uh, you know, get you working, you know, with the governmental things and get you on, like, this big speaking tour? And do you know what the guy did? He's like, I got an idea. I'm going to live in obscurity for about 30 years, and I'm going to pick 12 guys who are from all sorts of different backgrounds who probably won't really get get it right or really get along, and I know what I'll do. I'll invest in them and teach them basically how to be good friends on mission, and then I'm going to leave. What a terrible idea! But also, what a beautiful idea. This beautiful idea that out of relationships we've been created, for relationships we've been created, and so how does God choose to save the world? Not through power, not through prestige, but through relationships, loving relationships. I, I hear lots of talk uh, about people looking at our world and they're like, if only we could get fill in the blank person or political party in the world, then things would be perfect. If only uh, this type of thing would be on TV. All, we, we have all sorts of great ideas about how we could change the world. Very few times do I hear from people saying like, maybe if I just loved my neighbor, that might start. Because one of the reasons why I don't think we in, invest in this is we like the idea of pushing off excuses. We like the idea of saying like, well, this doesn't really cost me a lot. And if we're honest, if we look at history over and over again, um, things run in cycles, but also at the end of the day, the places, the times in which um, the church is growing, which really matters, doesn't really matter as much about the rest of things going on, are when the church actually takes serious this idea of being in relationship with one another. Because in a world full of loneliness, I, I honestly think that showing up regularly in someone's life is one of the most powerful acts of love. In a world in which we see um, the idea of, of people can get canceled, people can get ghosted, I'm trying to use all my hip lingo like I'm cool, uh, where, where relationships end over silly things. You know, over the last, you know, 10 years or so, especially in our country, I, I've talked with people, all sorts of political affiliations, all sorts of things, whose families literally broke apart over things that, if we're really honest, they're not eternal consequential things. They're things that the enemy got to use um, to destroy friendships and families and all sorts of things. And we're not going to get into all of the, the, the things that, but it is just sad. Um, it is sad because we were created with this 
this, this hardwiring to be in community, to be in relationship with one another. And one of the most powerful, powerful acts of love that the world could see is just followers of Jesus actually showing up consistently in people's lives, not being flaky, not being prideful, not being divisive, um, but being people of grace and hope and love and presence. Because part of the way that God, uh, we, we see God interacting with us throughout history is being a God who is with us. It's why we celebrate Christmas, right? We, we talk about how, how Jesus is known as Emmanuel, which means God with us. One of the most powerful, beautiful, spiritual things you could do, more important than reading your whole Bible in the year, more important than coming to church every Sunday, doing all these sort of things that are great things, but could be literally just consistently showing up in someone's life with love. It'd be huge. Because here's the thing. Um, in this world where there's so much loneliness, I actually think the church has an opportunity to meet a need that the world desperately needs and cannot deny. I actually think if we began to really take serious this idea of almost like a ministry of friendship, and I mean friendship within the church, I mean friendship without, outside the church, but I think one of the things that, that, that'll be the future of the church, because the church will never die. Jesus promised that. But I think one of the things that in this moment where people are like, people are so against church and they've forgotten God and all these things, those are true. But there's, there's a surging tide coming that I, that I really believe that there is um, people who are searching for truth. They're searching for meaning. They're searching for longing. And one of the hard parts is right now, if they were to look at some Christians, they'd be like, ooh, I don't want that. And I don't blame them. But I think if they actually saw people who genuinely loved each other, people who gather together in worship who sometimes don't vote for the same people, who live in different neighborhoods, who uh, root for different sports teams, I think if they were to see genuine love amongst people who are united together by their Heavenly Father, I think they're going to see that and say, oh, I want that. And here's the thing, one of the things that the church has the opportunity to do is even just providing opportunities for people to grow in community together. And here's the thing, if people come at first just because they want friends, they're not really interested in the Jesus thing, who cares? You know why? Because we get to love our neighbors and ultimately at the end of the day we get to teach them and show them who our ultimate friend is, which is Jesus. Which is why Jesus says this in the Gospel of John chapter 15. He, 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 he nails this down again. And I'm wrapping up, so they're going to come up and sing one more song. He says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Again, Jesus is our example. If Jesus decided to invest in a handful of people, maybe not a terrible idea for us. Greater love as this, no one, no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Then Jesus says this, which is cool, by the way. He's saying this to his disciples then, but he's saying this to us now. You are my friend uh, if you, uh, where am I? There we are. Uh, you, I have called you my friend uh, for everything I have, where am I? Sorry, guys. I'm getting excited. It says, you are my friends if you do what I command. There we go. I'm a little listexic. So, uh, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know this, his master's business. Instead, I have called you friend. Listen, guys, I'm going to be bragging for a long time about how my best friend's Jesus, so <laughs> sorry about you. But he says this, 
He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in the name of the Father, I will give you. And then again, he reiterates this. This is my command, love each other. As we're wrapping up this morning, as we're going to continue this journey over the, the next coming weeks, there's a, there's a few things I want you to wrestle with. Uh, the first thing is, is maybe this. Um, Jesus says, which might sound funny because you're like, well, I thought it was unconditional love. Jesus gives us unconditional love. But if you want to be his friend, uh, which is true of all friendships, right? Good friendships, there's boundaries, there's, there's things that keep a relationship healthy and whole. He says this, if you live in my way, you're my friend. And so for some of us, maybe this morning, it's just asking this question of like, man, I have this pit of loneliness in my heart, and I might even feel like I have friends in the world, but maybe today is the chance to fully trust in Jesus and be able to like authentically say like, yep, Jesus is my friend. For some of us, too, it might be a moment this morning to, to ask the question, to begin to wrestle with, to begin praying dangerous prayers where we ask God, like, like am I lonely? Or maybe see people in our lives who we know where we're like, ooh, I've kind of been a bad friend. Or see people who God has placed in our life over and over where he's like, I think you need to be their friend. I think they need this. And, and again, we, we don't do this always just for ourselves or because we want to, but because Christ loved us first, and we're called to reflect this. And here's the beautiful thing amongst all of this. We might feel like we're not worthy to be Jesus' friend, and we might feel like we're not worthy to be used by Jesus. But I love this quote. It says this, Jesus knows you fully, and he loves you anyways. One of the most awesome things is Jesus knows the thing you did last summer, right? He knows your thoughts. He knows probably during this time where you've thought like, gosh, what is this guy saying? It's my best. He's listening to you. But Jesus knows everything about your life, about your story, about, about, about the wounds that you have that you don't share with anyone, about your, your propensity to be selfish in certain areas, about the times that you've been flaky with him, about the times where you haven't trusted him, where you didn't take him at his word. And guess what? He loves you anyways. And so this morning, as we're going to sing this last song, uh, my, my invitation to you uh, is to trust him that he's good. To trust him that you don't need to um, clean yourself up or change things to, to be his friend. Uh, you just need to ask him. You need to ask that he would um, forgive you and help refine you. And then that he would give you the courage to do what you have to do if you want to follow him which is go and be a good friend to other people. Would you guys stand with me as we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing this last song. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the fact that you, you know everything about us, which is um, intimidating and wonderful. And, and, and if I'm honest, sometimes I even feel this sense of shame uh, around those things, and yet it's wild that you still look at us with love. And you say, you are my friend. Father, this morning, I pray for um, those that maybe this morning need to take that step this morning just to fully trust in you, to, Father, surrender our will, to seek your forgiveness, and, and to just enter into the family of God. 
Father, would, would people know all they have to do is just, is just say, Lord, I, I, I'm sorry for the way I've lived. I'm sorry for the, for, for the times where I haven't trusted you. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. And would they know that Jesus forgives them, that he, that he, that he puts their, their iniquities, their sin, as far as the east is from the west? Father, for some of us this morning, maybe this sermon has resonated because we feel lonely. Father, I pray that we begin to have the courage to be willing to take the steps to um, seek friendship, to be a good friend. And Father, for some of us, maybe this morning, um, you have uh, set a a sense of uh, conviction in our heart to say, there's someone in my life who I know I need to invest in uh, a more deep relationship, a more intentional relationship. Father, whatever you want to say to us this morning, um, would you just speak to us in this moment, and would you give us the courage to respond to you in whatever way you call us? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.